Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Good? Good, good. Uh, my name's Mike. I'm one of the elders here. Um, I am going to get the opportunity and the privilege to preach today. Um, so Brian said I have uh, two hours. Right? Brian's, what? Okay, I'm not going to keep you two hours. Um, so uh, I'm excited to preach today. This is the seventh installment of the Preaching the Gospel series. Uh, we have one more next week that we're going to go through, and I think you'll find that as we take all of those weeks and smash them together, um, we're going to find that it's going to be very applicable for us to take that information and kind of share it in our communities, in our world. Um, so some very practical things in the guide that I just kind of want to remind you of and point you to. If you don't have a guide, there's some out in the lobby um, that you can take and kind of like thumb through with your community group or even your spouse or a friend at work uh, that can kind of help you in some practical ways to uh, exemplify the gospel in either your workplace, your community, or even your family. Um, so today we're going to talk about preaching the gospel through actions. I've been tasked with that. Um, and first, uh, in order to understand this 100% uh, better or at least get a better idea of what it means to, to preach the gospel through actions, I kind of want to first walk us through the idea of apprenticeship. Because without apprenticeship to Christ, without this idea that we've been talking about with apprenticing under the master, the master Jesus, we're not going to be able to get a full understanding of what it means to preach the gospel through actions. So I first want to kind of walk us through that idea, and I think it's going to help us to kind of frame out our understanding of how we take this and then we show those actions to a, a world that is in desperate need of um, healing and love and joy and compassion. So what's apprenticeship? Most of you are thinking, well, there's something in my head that I have a definition of. Maybe I'm thinking of a plumber or an electrician or uh, an artist that needs an apprentice or that needs an apprenticeship, right? So that idea of apprenticeship is basically uh, is an arrangement in which somebody is learning an art or a trade or music or a craft underneath the master of somebody who's already kind of uh, wrestled through this and reached the pinnacle of their, their career to be able to download that epic resume, so to speak, into the next person coming up. How does that apply to Jesus? How does that differ from Jesus? How is that different from our apprenticeship with Jesus? Well, let me tell you this. As we think about an apprenticeship in the world, apprenticeship with uh, an electrician or a plumber, um, once we learn how to wire something, once we learn how to connect pipes together, once we learn how to draw effectively, do we need the master anymore? Right? I can set the master aside once I learn those things and I say, I don't, I don't, I don't need you anymore. So now I'm the master. Right? The difference with Jesus is we never get to that point of setting Jesus aside and saying, I got it from here. But don't we do that so often? I do that all the time. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 I get that, I get that. I understand what you're saying and how I need to, you know, set myself at your feet and be able to apply the gospel message to my life and share that out with the world. Okay, I got it. Let me, let me see if I got this over here. And then I, and I start doing it my way. And guess what? I start to fail because I'm setting the master aside and saying, oh, I don't need you anymore, Jesus. But our relationship and our apprenticeship with Jesus is exactly that. It's, it's a lifelong journey, which is completely different from the idea of an apprenticeship, how we would normally define apprenticeship. So as we think about uh, the text today, as we think about preaching the gospel through actions, I kind of want to have you understand it through that lens of apprenticeship with Jesus is the only way that we're going to be able to effectively share and bring actions to a world around us through preaching the gospel. Because if not, if we don't have that as a basis, then we're just responding to the world with the way that the world has responded to the problems in the world, which is pretty flat. 
right? There's no cyclical picture to that whole thing around Jesus, around something eternal. It's only earthly. So we're answering problems that the earth can only answer, that we as people, humans interacting with each other can only answer, and it falls flat. So apprenticeship, uh, the other thing to keep in mind about apprenticeship is it's not an accidental process, right? We didn't accidentally become Christians, did we? Anybody? Anybody accidentally fall into Christianity? Well, this sounds good. I guess I'll just go with it. Right? No, nobody actually accidentally falled into this. They, they, they were presented with this material, and then they were excited about what Jesus was doing in their lives, and then they started seeking after this relationship with Jesus and what that looks like. So as we think about this process, it's not accidental. accidental. It's an intentional engagement with Jesus, right? And that's our daily walk with him. That's our daily walk that we enter into in order to sit at the feet and learn under the master to be able to, to do the things that Jesus did. Sounds a lot like what we've been kind of going through the past couple years, uh, gaining the knowledge of the master, learning to do what the master does, starting to become like the master. Is it clicking? You're starting to see or hear some things that you're like, oh, I think I've heard this before. And hopefully we start to begin to do the same things that the master's doing. Sounds a lot like being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing the things that Jesus did. That's essentially apprenticeship as it, at, it, at, its, at, it, at its core, as its base. And as we're doing those things, the last part of that, doing the things that Jesus did, that's where our actions come in. It's not just one of those things, right? Apprenticeship isn't just, let's go out and do good things. Apprenticeship isn't just, yeah, let me just do the things that Jesus did, or let me just become like Jesus, and I don't want to share that stuff with the world. I want to take all of those, those parts of apprenticeship. I want to take the being with Jesus, spending time with him in prayer and fasting and all the different ways that we commune with the Lord, taking all of those things and being able to take our relationship, start to transform our lives through the working of the Holy Spirit into becoming like Jesus, and then the natural outflow of that to the world is what? Doing the things that Jesus did bringing the joy, the compassion, all the fruit of the spirit that we talk about, peace, love, patience, joy, kindness, all of that stuff, the stuff that the world is in desperate need of, we're able to bring that stuff out. Why? Because we've just been sitting with the master and we're seeing the master do it. I want to tell you a quick story. I like stories. It's one of my favorite things. I like to embellish stories. Uh, as you can talk to my wife, she'll tell you that. That's not how it went. And I'm like, yeah, well, it, t it sounds better this way. So I like to tell stories. So I remember as a child, I, I do a lot of artwork. I still do a lot of artwork. But as a child, I spent countless hours drawing on pads of paper, crayons, markers, pens, pencils, whatever. I would draw anything. I would scribble on pages. Uh, I would make marks, light marks, dark marks, heavy marks, thin marks, soft marks, whatever. Um, and this was the way that I was framing the world around me. I was able to translate what I was seeing in the world around me to paper or canvas or whatever to be able to use the ways that God has gifted me to be able to tell about the world around me, to tell about, I didn't know it at the time, but to tell about him. And I see that now as I, as I wrestle through artwork and I present material uh, to a, uh, a viewing audience, I'm able to show them how I respond to the world around me by the marks that I'm making on the canvas or the paper. But how did I get to that point? I got to that point because when I started looking at my paper, I started looking at my canvas as a child, I'm like, man, this is really awful. You know, this is not like the, the masters do it, right? I just have some scribbles. I still scribble now, but I, I, I just have scribbles on the paper. There's uninformed marks, unintelligible 
So how am I supposed to put all this together to utilize these, these skills that God has given me to share with the world around me, to tell about his, his love and his patience and his kindness for each one of us? How do I do that? I needed a master. I needed to apprentice underneath somebody. So that's exactly what I did. So I sought out a teacher, a program that I could start to learn some of these skills and techniques to advance to the next step of that specific skill set. Doesn't Jesus do the same thing with us? Right? He invites us into that same student-teacher relationship, that same apprenticeship relationship with him. And as we follow after the master, we see that our eyes begin to be focused on him, right? Through the daily living of, of, of our faith, our eyes begin to focus on him. And our perspective with the world around us begins to change. And as that changes, guess what also changes? Our hearts change, Right? And when all that stuff happens, that's where we see the outflow now coming out to a world that's watching and waiting to see what it is that we're bringing to them, right? People are always looking for our responses to things. I get this all the time when somebody swears at work and they say, oh, Mike, I'm sorry. And I'm like, well, that's, that's a different scenario. But they're always looking, they're always watching to see how we respond to things. So if we're not connected to the Father, we're not connected to the Father through Jesus, through apprenticeship, then how are we able to tie back into the power that we have through the working of the Holy Spirit so we can actually live our lives in ways that are different from the world around us? So uh, over the past couple weeks, this is an eight-week series um, on preaching the gospel. We've talked about a couple different things. We talked about what is the gospel and what isn't the gospel so we know the difference when we go out and say, hey, this is what I believe. Somebody says, well, what is it? And you're like, well, I, I, don't, I don't quite know, right? And then it falls flat. So... We need to have a good understanding of what is the gospel message. And we've talked about hospitality. We talked about ways that we can interact with people that are hospitable, right? Because the way that the world interacts with each other is, is it hospitable? Well, sometimes some people are hospitable. But how can we as believers always enter into every conversation and every situation with this spirit of hospitality? talked about joining God in the work that he's already doing, praying into that and having God kind of lead you in the direction of where he's, his spirit's working among the people in our lives or in our neighborhoods or even in our families. Contextualization. This is a huge one that, that always comes up if you're around uh, missions conversations. Um, taking the message of Jesus, taking this uh, message that we read from, from the word and contextualizing it to the, the modern context. What does that mean? The message never changes Right? What Brian said, the message never changes, but the ways in which we execute that do, the methods do change. So how do we take the gospel message, contextualize it to make it appropriate for today's society or even appropriate to the person? Right? As I think about our neighborhoods, your, your neighborhood might be the same. Uh, I think down my street and I think about all the different families that are represented in my neighborhood. There might be some from different cultures. There might be some from different backgrounds. And each one of those people that I could potentially interact with has a completely different cultural context than what I'm, that what I'm used to. So how do I take this message and how do I make it relevant to them? And a lot of that comes through our apprenticeship with Jesus, how we're sitting at the feet of the master saying, how do I take this? How do I take what you're giving me through the spirit to a world that desperately needs it? Uh, last week, we talked about um, preaching the gospel through our living, through all of our uh, different interactions with people, and uh, being prepared to give a defense 
for the hope that we have in us. And then today we're going to kind of discuss through this idea of what it means to truly take the gospel message and deliver it through, through our actions. Um, we're going to do this today. I don't have any slides. I told the first service to just get out their pen and paper and to write down the points if you want to write down the points. Old school is what I called it. And they were all older, so they enjoyed it. So, um, so we're going to talk about preaching the gospel through actions through these two distinct points in terms of outcome. So we're going to look at it in terms of outcome. So the first one would be the outcome of an earthly perspective, and then the second would be an outcome from an eternal perspective. So uh, our scripture reader is ready. Yes. Uh, we're going to read from John 14, 9 through 14. Uh, so if you want to get your Bibles out. And like Brian always says, if you don't have a Bible, take the one in front of you or steal your neighbors. They would love to give it to you. I'm actually going to add verse 8 to the, the verses you have listed. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe an account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. All right, let us pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for the reading of your word. Um, we're thankful for the ways that um, it will shape us and it will um, just define our paths, Lord, and it continues to shape and refine our hearts. Lord, I ask that you would just be with each one of us today as we open up your word and dive into some of the details of this passage. I pray that it would cut us in ways that only you can heal, that it would create in us a desire to see the big picture of what it is that you have planned for the world, um, but more importantly, what you have planned for each one of us um, to execute, to be your hands and feet among the, uh, the least of these in our neighborhood, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you for um, our congregation here. I pray that you would continue to shape us, continue to make us more like you. Lord, I pray also for the words that are spoken today that uh, none of my words would come through, Lord, but that you would just be glorified and your spirit would work through um, what is being said today in a way that um, 
shapes and builds up and um, encourages. So Lord, I just ask that you would just be with us. Open our hearts and our minds as we dive into this text. And Lord, I'm thankful for each one here. I know that uh, there are many who are not, and I just pray for them, that they are hearing in their own way, in their own places right now. And I also pray for our youth that are on a retreat. I pray that they would uh, just be having a blessed time as they finish up and that they make it home safely. And Lord, we're thankful for just the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. All right, so let's look at the passage. The text brings us to a question. Uh, I'm glad that you added in eight because it, uh, it really paints a, a deeper picture. Um, so Philip asked a question, can you just show us the Father? This will be enough. If you just show us the Father, this will be enough. And then we'll, we'll, we'll believe better. Do you think that's the case? Do you think that's true? When in your own life... Have you, have, you raised, have you kind of raised that question to Jesus and said, God, if you only do this, Jesus, if you only do this, then I'll, then I'll believe more, then I'll pray more, then I'll fast more, then I'll fill in the blank more, whatever it is. Has any of us ever done that? Okay, I'm the only one then. No, I, I think all of us in our own right have, have done that to some degree, just the same way that Philip is. And, and, and what Jesus ends up answering him is this. He says, I've, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? And for me, I had to take a step back when I read this because I've read this passage many times before and I always kind of read it with this understanding of Jesus responding sarcastically to Philip, right? Like this, like, ah, uh, like this exasperated, like, how long have I been with you guys and you still don't get it, right? But I was putting my own heart into this story. Jesus nowhere in scripture has this sarcastic tone, he merely just lovingly, matter of fact, tells Philip, I've been with you this long and, and you don't know. Let me re-explain it again. And he spends the rest of that passage explaining, re-explaining some of what the plan is, what the gospel message is, how can it be applied to the world around us, and what are the ways in which this happens. So prior to this passage, we get a picture of Thomas doing kind of the same thing. Um, and Philip also doing the same thing in the sense of like questioning the, the deity uh, between God the Father and God the Son. So they're kind of wrestling back and forth with this. We see this much later uh, with Thomas saying, well, I'll, I'll believe that Jesus was resurrected if what? If I see the holes in his hands, right? Again, it's going back to this earthly like, well, just give me a sign and then I'll, I'll follow more. My heart will be filled more than I could follow after you more. So how does God respond to that? So Jesus knows that it's not going to be enough. He knows that even if he showed them the Father, there'd be another reason down the line for them to say, okay, well, you showed me the Father. Thank you very much. But now I need to see this. It's never enough. So why isn't it, why isn't it ever enough? It's because Philip and Thomas, just like many of us, we're all looking for earthly answers to spiritual problems. We're looking for earthly answers and not eternal answers, right? We're seeking after the wrong things. So if our hearts are positioned toward Christ in a way, in the sense of understanding it through the idea of apprenticeship, then we're slowly being shaped into the character of Jesus. And as we're slowly being shaped into the character, we're less likely to ask these questions of, yeah, Lord, but if you just did this, then, then I would believe more right? Because we're seeing that outflow into the world around us through us because that's how Jesus is shaping us. And that just becomes very exciting. So 
the disciples, uh, you read through this, this text that they're kind of wrestling with this idea that um, they can't see the, the eternal perspective here. They can't see the plan that, that Jesus have, that, that, that he has for the world, right? It's easy for us to look back on this situation because we have all of the text, all the biblical text, the totality of scripture pointing back to this moment to say, well, yeah, we know exactly what's going to happen right? Jesus ends up going to the cross. He dies, gets resurrected, and then he shows himself. He leaves. He has to go to the Father, which he's alluding to in this passage. He has to go to the Father in order for what? What has to come down after the, after the Son goes away? The Holy Spirit. So he sees, the, he sees the plan. Disciples can't see that plan the same way. But what Jesus is doing is he's kind of giving those glimpses, saying, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come and it's going to empower you and you're going to start to see that I'm giving you the ability to take this message, this message of forgiveness and grace and love and kindness, compassion, peace, patience, all of these things that mark the gospel with these positive uh, attributes, we can take these to a world that desperately needs it, right? But without the working of the Spirit, the disciples had to just trust that Jesus was the Father, and the Father was Jesus. So this brings us to our first point. So if the end goal of apprenticeship with Jesus is demonstrating the love of Jesus through actions, love, justice, compassion, then we need to have a, a perspective that's focused on that end. Right? Amen to that? So it's easy to say. It's harder to work that out, isn't it? Because what happens in the hard times of life and the distracting times of life Right? Does, do we still have our eyes solely focused on Jesus? Come on, you can raise your hand. You're like, yes, yes, I do. Anybody? There's a hand in the back. There's two hands. I'm kidding. There's no hands. A couple of people turned around. Yeah. No, it's, it's hard to keep our focus on Jesus, right? Because we're just seeing this, this, these answers all around us. Are we asking the same thing that Philip asked? Are we saying, yeah, but Lord, just show us this and this, this will be enough. This will be enough. Let me tell you another story. So uh, most of you know I work as a firefighter paramedic down in Montgomery County, Maryland, and I've been doing that for a while now. Um, and a few months ago, I was able to respond to a cardiac arrest, which is not uncommon. That's kind of a common occurrence uh, these days, unfortunately. Um, but what I responded to uh, as we were going to this call, uh, it was a mid-60s, maybe 70-year-old female who was in cardiac arrest. So we're gearing up on the way there, thinking about all the possible scenarios, all the meds, everything that we would possibly need, and how we can execute this stuff when we get on scene. That's, that's part of my job. And then I run the, run the team as we try to bring life back to this person. So it was quickly evident as I walked down the stairway into this uh, cluttered basement uh, to find a, another mid, uh, middle-aged woman in her 60s to 70s um, doing chest compressions on her sister. Now, her sister was the one that was in cardiac arrest, and uh, it was quickly evident that this was an intentional death. Uh, so it was very kind of jarring for us because we had to kind of enter into this process, even though we knew full well, I knew full well, that this wasn't going to go positively for the family or the patient. So we did what we do, uh, spent time pushing meds and doing the best we could, and in the end, there was, uh, there was no life. So uh, we had to, I had to tell the family that their loved one had passed and that there was nothing else left to do. Um, so at that point, uh, in my position, I have to turn my care to the family. Uh, so I do a little, I don't, I don't want to say counseling, but 
I have to break it to them gently and then help them with anything that they would need to, you know, help with. And uh, then I started getting history from the, from the family about the patient because I have to do a lot of report writing. So as I was getting the history from the uh, family, it became evident that this uh, lady who had taken her own life had a long history of anxiety and depression and uh, multiple attempts in the past to do the same. And it was, it was hard, right? Because this is, this is what marks the world around us. The frustration, the anxiety, the depression, what, fill in the blank, whatever it is, this is what, when we leave these doors, this is what is around us, right? So how do we answer some of that stuff from a gospel perspective? Right? And I began to wrestle with this idea as I thought about this woman who had just taken her own life and I thought about the hope we have in Jesus and I started thinking it's a matter of perspective, right? It's a matter of perspective because you, if we're answering things with earthliness, then we're just going to get earthly answers like I said before. But if we're answering it with spiritual questions, with eternity in, in our mindset, then that hope that we have should, should be balancing out some of those things. So, it was jarring for me because I'm like trying to balance all these things like, oh, this is a mess. You know, like how, how, do you, how do you take these two extremes and hold them equally and then respond lovingly to a world that is just constantly in struggle and constant paradigm? Many of you have examples just like that. Um, that's an extreme one, but there are many of you have examples just like that. Kids hurting in houses, kids hurting in school systems, family members hurting in nursing homes, like thousands of different countless stories of people who are losing hope and losing focus because of that perspective shift. So struggles come, right? Don't get me wrong. We're not without struggles in this world as believers, right? But it's how we struggle, how we struggle, and not if we struggle that the world is looking at, right? Because if I am engaging somebody at work who doesn't know Jesus and they see me struggling with something in a way that's different from how they've ever thought about struggling with something, they would say, well, wait a minute. What? How are you able to maintain positivity, hopefulness, loving, kindness, and you're still able to give out of the abundance of your heart while you're still struggling with this? That does not make sense outside these doors. So how, how, do, we, how do we hold those two things? So last week, Brian uh, gave you a bunch of Dallas Willard quotes, or maybe just one. But I'm going to give you a different quote from this book. Oh, the places you'll go by Dr. Seuss. Yes, so the, the quote is this. You can get so confused that you'll start into race down long wiggled roads at a breaknecking pace and grind on for miles across weirdish wild space toward a most useless place, the waiting place. So what is the waiting place? Glad you asked. I'm going to read it to you. The waiting place is this. It's for people just waiting, waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go or the mail to come or the rain to go or the phone to ring or the snow to snow, waiting around for a yes or no or waiting for their hair to grow. Again, the first service was dying. Okay, everyone is just waiting, waiting for the fish to bite, waiting for wind to fly a kite, waiting around for a Friday night or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake or a pot to boil or a better break or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a wig with curls, or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. It's a goofy story, right? The reason I put it in there is it lightens up the mood of my previous illustration, which I don't want anybody going out of here thinking, oh my goodness, this, this is awful. Um, 
But it does a good job. Dr. Seuss does a great job in kind of painting this picture of just earthly waiting. Every time I read that, and I've read it thousands of times to each one of my four children, countless times to the point that I think I've memorized every single part of that book. Um, but what it does is it just paints this picture of kind of the sorrowful waiting, waiting for something. If, this, if only this would happen, then things would be better. If only the pot would boil, then things would be better. If only Uncle Jake would show up, or if only I had hair, things would be better. Again, that's, that's messed up. But that's not the case, right? It's not the case because we're waiting on something that if it comes, it's never going to fully satisfy us. It's never going to fully answer the question of how do we bring the gospel message out in practical ways to the world around us? And that's only through our apprenticeship with Jesus, being able to, being shaped into his image. And then that natural outflow to the world is exactly that. It's a natural byproduct of our relationship with him. There's no try there. It just happens. So how do we get to that point? So as a recap to this, I just want to say apprenticeship with Jesus, it draws us into a deeper relationship with him, which results in an outflow of actions to our family, our friends, our neighbors, and to the world. Sounds a lot like Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, right? Preaching the gospel through actions, through a perspective of eternity, produces eternal fruit, right? If the whole point of our lives with Jesus is to produce fruit, then don't you want to produce eternal fruit, right? Or do you want to produce disgusting, rotten, putrid fruit? Raise your hand. No, no, no hands. Apprenticeship with the world on the flip side of this is exactly the opposite, right? It leads us far away from the light of Jesus. Having an earthly perspective allows us to produce an outflow of what the earth has to offer, right? Which is oftentimes despair and hopelessness. And it produces earthly fruit. So one way or the other, it's producing fruit. Whether we're apprenticing with Jesus and it's producing eternal fruit or we're apprenticing with the world and it's producing the same thing the world has to offer, which is earthly fruit. So there's a direct correlation between our relationship to Christ and how it outflows to the world. So I want you guys to do something for me. Look ahead, straight ahead, and I want you to focus on Jesus. Jesus sitting in front of you, standing in front of you. However you spend time with Jesus, whether he's in a rock star costume or I don't, I don't know. Whatever way that you see Jesus, I want you to focus on him. Then I want you to think about apprenticing under the master Jesus. What does that look like to you? Is that quiet time? Is that reading your Bible? Is that constant hours in prayer? Is that fasting? Is that whatever way that you see your relationship shaping you with Jesus. Now I want you, keeping all that in your head, I want you to put your hands up by your eyes like they're blinders, like on a horse. Okay? I want you to start moving those things back and forth as fast as you can. It's going to sound like a kid running down the street in corduroy pants in a minute. Right? Now I want you to focus on Jesus. Do it faster. Keep going faster. Focus on Jesus. Can you do it? Is it easy to focus on Jesus when your hands are blasting past your face? No, it's not. And why is it? Because this is what the world is telling us, right? We're called, as soon as we go out those doors, to focus on Jesus, to share that love through that apprenticeship relationship that we have with him. We're called to share that with others. But how do we go out those doors and contend with this? and still be able to bring his love to a world around us. 
we still have to, as believers, this is really annoying, we have to, as believers, still be able to focus on Jesus regardless of the distractions of the world. But that gets lessened. Those distractions get lessened. We focus on them less because why? Because we're growing to be closer like the Father, right? We're, go- we're growing into the likeness of Jesus. So our focus on things external ends up changing drastically. So let's go back to the text really quickly. Uh, Jesus then drops a bomb on the, uh, on the uh, disciples. At this point, he says, whoever believes in me will also do the work that I do. Now, they've been seeing him do all sorts of things, right? Healing the blind, uh, lame people are, walked, are walking, um, raising people from the dead, all these different things they're able to see him do. Now he's saying, you're going to have the same power. You're going to do the same things that I do. And then he turns around and says, greater things you're going to do. So what does that mean? When I read this, I was thinking, well, this is sweet. Like, we're going to be able to do the same things that Jesus did. Like, he did all these great things, like healing people, all these crazy miracles, bringing people from the dead. I've never brought anybody back from the dead. Anybody? No? No hands. Okay. Well, that's good, because that would be a little weird. But So it's important to note here that when we read this scripture, I, ta- I talked about the totality of scripture, we're reading the whole story and we're looking back on this. And as we look back on this, we think, well, the Holy Spirit doesn't come on the scene until a few chapters later, right? Or a few verses later, actually. So you're thinking about the fact that the Holy Spirit's not there. Now, we have the working of the Holy Spirit in each one of us, right? So for us, this makes sense. This makes sense that we're gonna do the same things because Jesus is empowering us to do the th- same things because he's implanted in us the Spirit that has an outflow to the world. So what does greater works mean then? As I was thinking through this, I'm like, okay, it has to be more than just doing works. So as I was reading through, I looked at a few commentaries and I was, I was kind of struck with this idea that I think the scope of the gospel message as it was kind of going out is what Jesus was talking about. As we look at the scope of the gospel as it was reaching communities past that small community during Jesus' time, which we can see, looking back on the story, we see that it was reaching Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world, right? We see it now in the world today, reaching far places for Jesus that have never heard of the story of Christ. So, you know, you take these two things and you're like, well, yeah, this is exactly what he meant by it. He meant that we were gonna take that truth and we were gonna see it multiplied throughout the world right? Expanding the Christian reach everywhere in the world. But the disciples couldn't see it at that time. So Jesus' perspective was an eternal perspective, and he was seeing it differently than how the disciples were able to see it. So this brings us to our second point, an earthly perspective. So he saw the plan more completely. He was trying to give this picture to the disciples. The disciples weren't able to fully grasp exactly what that meant. But yet he still gives them a promise, that whatever you ask in my name, I'm going to do it, right? Trying to keep them to focus on the fact that there was this eternal perspective that they should be keeping in mind, right? And it's easy to say, it's harder to kind of like flesh that out and follow. So as we think about this practice series, there's, like I said, there's uh, eight parts of this practice series. We're gonna hit the next part next week. Um, but all, all eight of those things, don't look at those as separate, separate entities, right? Don't look at them like, I'm going to read one and only do one. Uh, I like this one. It's like an a la carte menu. I don't like that. Um, I don't like contextualization. I just want to preach the gospel the way that I want to preach the gospel and you know, forget everybody else who doesn't like it. Um, 
Look at it like a whole package, right? In the same way that we're entering into that discipleship relationship with Jesus, that apprenticeship relationship, he's changing each part of us. And we need to look at this whole practice series as the same way. We're taking these truths and it's building to what? It's building for us to be able to take that truth and share it with a world that desperately needs it. So how do we put it all together? Well, first I'm going to ask you two questions. So how is your heart uh, posture during this practice series? Are you listening to the truths and are you saying, yeah, but like I said, I don't want that one. I'll I'll take this one over that one. Um, Are you kind of, quote unquote, poo-pooing some of the areas of it? Is your heart not fully able to kind of grasp and understand each aspect to be able to, to put it all together and say, okay, Lord, this is what you have. I'm all in. Let's go. Or do you feel like the, it's, it's empowering you to push into your relationships around you? Or do you feel like it's kind of making you recoil in your relationships around you? Because I think sometimes when I started to read through this, I'm like, wow, this is really heavy stuff. When you, when you really think about putting all this into practice, it's really heavy things if you're doing it in your own power. Right, so as I was thinking about that, I'm like, oh man, am I recoiling away from preaching the gospel because of my own fears or insecurities? And if that's the case, then admit that. Repent of that. Push back deeper into apprenticeship with Jesus and see how he starts to work that stuff out in ways that outflows to the community. So one of the things that's in the practice series is the BLESS practice. Uh, Some of you know this. I'm just going to go through it again. Um, BLESS is an acronym, um, B-L-E-S-S. B is begin with prayer. L is listen to their story. E is eat together. S is serve and be served. And S The other S is share your story. So as we think about this idea of, uh, we're just going to go through this B, beginning with prayer. Um, It all starts with prayer. It all starts with asking God, hey, reveal to me people in my life that need to know Jesus. Reveal to me people that just need uh, the presence of somebody with a positive heart. Um, that can bring joy into their life, like each one of us. So how do we do that? We do that through prayer. And then let God point us to the direction of people that need his love, right? If we're choosing out, well, I'm going to go pray for that person because they look really messed up, right? Well, did, God do, did God put that on your heart or is that something that you're seeking after? The L is listen to their story. This is probably the biggest one. We, uh, I've, I've had many conversations with people about this as far as listening to the story of the person you're around, right? Really, truly listening. Um, not listening with the intent to manipulate the conversation to be able to force their hand into the gospel, right? Into understanding. I've seen a lot of people kind of like, you know, you're eating lunch with somebody and they have some, you know, French fries with some ketchup and they're like, oh man, this ketchup's really good. And it's really red, just like the blood of Jesus. And then they try to, whew, got him, right? And they bring the story in, and it falls flat. Why? Because you're just looking for ways to strong arm somebody into understanding the gospel message. And that's not what it's about. It's truly about listening to the person that you're spending time with. Eating together. This is the easiest one that we can practically do. Showing love through our actions to a world around us is just eating with somebody. We do it a couple times a day, some more often than others, right? But it's an easy way to invite somebody into that process to say, hey, let's just have lunch. Let's just have dinner. I don't need to bring up Jesus the entire time unless God opens the the, the door to have that conversation. But we can just sit together and we can share a meal. We can have Fritos and Cheez-Its and whatever, whatever, whatever you eat. I don't know. 
probably something healthy. Um, but you would be surprised how many people are just awed by the fact that you've opened your home and are willing to sit and eat with them. I mean, it's amazing. Don't eat with somebody you already know. Like, I'm not going to invite Peter over and eat with him because he's in my community group. I eat with him all the time, right? Ask that person that you don't know that well. Maybe somebody, I don't know, outside of this church. Oh, it's scary. Ooh. Yeah, somebody at the coffee shop that you've just met. Hey, you want to hang out sometime and get some lunch, right? Just see how, see how God leads. Serve. Serve and be served. I think Brian mentioned this a little bit. Um, thinking about this idea of serving, we have this big picture in our head about serving. What does that look like? What does it mean? How do we serve people? And we always want to package this nice, big, huge thing, right? Well, we're going to set up a program. We're going to serve the entire community of, of York County, and this is going to be great. Um, but like what Brian was saying earlier, maybe it's just taking a part and serving in these small capacities, right? If a neighbor needs help getting groceries, you don't need to set them up with a, a grocery plan that's going to give them groceries for the next 55 years. You just need to be able to be there for them when they have an immediate need, right? And fulfill these little things, raking somebody's lawn, taking somebody's trash cans in. These are ways, practical ways that you can serve others without this big pomp and circumstance of it. It doesn't have to be massive. Little ways. And then sharing your story. Hopefully through this process, as you're praying for people, as you're listening to their story, you're eating together, you're serving them, you're being served yourself by the fact that you're serving them, right? You get to the point where now you can share your story. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing these things for me? And what is the answer? The answer is because I serve a loving God who wants you to know him more and know him better. So keep this in mind as we uh, still have one more um, practice series message to go through that as we take all this stuff and we can kind of package it, put it into our hearts and apply it to the world around us. It really comes down to two questions. Do we believe that Jesus is who he is and says he is and can do through the working of the spirit the things that he claimed that he could do and we could do? Do we believe that? Do we believe the gospel message and its power? And the other question is what are we gonna do about it? How can we take this and give it out to a world that is in desperate need of it.